0: I don't want to go to work. I just want to chill and play all day. Look, i in in the bass and say, I wish I could just be still asleep while you work. Welcome to season four of the Jobs Blow podcast. I'm your host, Brianna Haas, and this is the podcast for dreamers with and without day jobs. This week's show is called Leaving the Boardroom for the Bedroom with author, speaker, and certified life and reinvention coach, Karen Freeland.
1: Karen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: I love stories of people leaving corporate America and doing something that they're passionate about. So I was super excited to talk to you. And I'm even more excited because you have a book called The Ins and Outs of My Vagina, a penetrating memoir. I mean, that's like right up my alley. Or right at my vagina. No, just Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say. Anyway, um, before we start, I like to have a quote at the beginning of the show that I feel is kind of relevant or inspiring. This one is really more uh, relevant than probably inspiring. But anyway, it's, I was worried about my own vagina. It needed a context of other vaginas, a community, a culture of vaginas. There's so much darkness and secrecy surrounding them, like the Bermuda Triangle.
1: Do you know this quote? No, I don't, but I'm in love with it because that just totally speaks to exactly why I wrote this book because there's so many topics out there that are seemingly taboo, but every single one of us is going through it and we feel like we're the only one because no one talks about it. And I was like, I'm done with this. We're talking about it.
0: <laughs> well, it's Eve Ensler. And do you know the Vagina Monologues? Of course. Yeah. So that's her. So Yes. Nice. It's funny, you know, I just, whenever I have a guest, I Google like something relevant with the word quote and I was like vagina quotes (laughs) and Hey came up. So, um, yeah, no, I, I love the concept of your book and I definitely want to get to that and talk about it, but because this is the job school podcast, let's talk a little bit about the career journey. I guess you started in New York.
1: Yeah. So I grew up in upstate New York. And like most people who grew up in a small town, you are itching to get to a big city. So after college, I actually went first to Miami and I was there for two years, which was kind of a random place to start an acting career. But I'm also, well, not anymore, but I used to be like kind of lazy and just very like I'm going with wherever the wind blows. So my friend just called up and said, I need a roommate. You want to move to Miami? I'm like, Yeah, cool. I could act there. Sure. (laughs) Why not? So I spent two years there and then I went to New York because that is where my boyfriend at the time was from, now husband. And we moved to Queens and I took the end train every day in to do auditions and to work at my waitressing job. And I did that for several years and had some great success. You know, it was so much fun living your dream in New York City, going to auditions. But I was also very poor. Like I was doing the whole starving artist thing and it just got really exhausting. I was 24 and I was like, I have literally like $24 in the bank. And, you know, I'm not great at math, but that's not like an awesome average, (laughs) a dollar per year of your life. (laughs) Well, you know, the thing is too...
0: It's one thing to be poor in the small town you came from, but it's another to be poor in New York City where everything costs like a thousand times what it costs in your hometown. I mean, when I moved here, I ate bagels on the regular for my meals three times a day. This was before we knew carbs were really bad.
1: Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. We had a joke. We used to say, what do you want for dinner tonight? Raviolis, raviolis, or raviolis? Because we had the frozen raviolis. We had the canned raviolis and we had the fried raviolis that his mom would buy us from BJ's and send to us. And we would like put in the oven. So like literally that was all we had to eat because it's all we could afford. So I was in New York and I finally said, you know what? I'm going to get a job and I'm just going to work for one year. In corporate, that's it. One year, I'm going to save every single penny, and then I'm going to quit, and I'll have enough saved up that I can just act without having to wait tables or do something else. Well, turns out I'm pretty good at sales, and I got a job at T-Mobile selling Blackberries. And I dating ourselves, the Blackberry. They weren't even color yet. Like they were just black and white. And I remember when I was working there, we got the first color Blackberry. I think it was like the 7230. I don't know why I remember the model number, but anyway. And I was so excited. Like when I got my first paycheck, my first commission check had four numbers on it. And I was like, I'm rich. (laughs) Four numbers on one check (laughs) is amazing. So instead of going home and putting it in the bank like I was supposed to, I went to a coach store and I bought a bunch of stuff because, you know, it's New York and everybody else is rocking the designer stuff. So that was basically the rest is history. You know, I got trapped in the money drug and it was like once I was hooked, I couldn't give it up. I just couldn't find a way to get out of it. Now, I was fortunate because I did pharmaceutical sales after that for three years. And I mean, my bosses would have killed me, but I would go out in the middle of the day and I'd shoot an episode of All My Children. And then I'd come out of the studio and I'd go to work and I'd see some doctors, take them to dinner at night. And I was really able to juggle very well the two worlds for some time. But once I got into training and I was traveling, it's like I was never available for auditions. I was never available to act anymore. So it really fell off. And I just got sucked into the soul sucking environment for 15 years.
0: Well, well, capitalism, girl, capitalism will do it to you.
1: Yeah. And look, I love capitalism. I'm all for it. i got to be honest. Like I like earning money. I like being able to buy something nice to go shopping or, you know, like all that's great. But what I have learned is that it doesn't provide true joy and happiness. I love not having to worry about putting food on my table. I mean, the base of money just makes life easier. That's it, right? It's easy. Kids need braces? No problem. Mommy's got a six-figure salary. Oh, you want to go watch the New Jersey Devils this weekend at the Prudential Center? Mommy will get third row tickets. No problem. Like, whatever we wanted, basically. I mean, look, I wasn't buying yachts and stuff, but we were doing well. And that was great until it wasn't. Until I finally realized, like, what am I doing with my life? There has to be more. There has to be something more. This isn't why I was put here. So when did you have this realization? How long ago was it? Okay. So this started around 2016, 2017, and then it peaked in 2019 because I think what most of us do is we push those little feelings aside. We suppress them. We suppress them. Oh, it's just just a phase. I'm just, as things are kind of off right now, I don't know. I got to get my shit together. You know, like I would say that to myself all the time. I just got to get it together. Like, I'll be fine. I'm going to bounce back. And it was like death by a thousand paper cuts. And it was just like one little comment from somebody at work here, no appreciation on this big project I delivered over there, all these little things that kind of built up. And in 2019, we had two deaths in the family. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back. It sent me into such a deep depression because all of a sudden it was like, it felt like I was going to die tomorrow. Like, and then what? what did I do? I'm not even a present mom. I don't do enough with my children. Like I have a nanny that comes in the morning and gets them ready for school. Like I can't even be bothered. Like what? I'm like, this is not what I wanted for my life. Like this isn't what I imagined. And so I kind of went through this like deep period of drinking a lot. (laughs) kind of my first. This time's kind of around COVID, like how it was just before COVID. Okay. Yeah. But so like beginning of 20, it was end of 2018 with the first death, second death, beginning of 2019. And in May of that year, I bought myself a Benz because I was like, that's it. If I'm going to die, I'm going to enjoy this money and not just have it sitting in my bank account. So I went out and I bought a fancy car and I like, you know, did the classic midlife crisis stuff. And It wasn't until I was working with a coach and she had me go through these exercises to figure out like, you know, how do you want to brand yourself? Who are you? What do you want to accomplish in life? All these things. And I realized like, I have a book in my heart. Like I have started, I started it back in 2009 and it had just been sitting on my laptop for 10 years. And occasionally I'd pick it up and write a chapter or two and then I'd kind of forget about it and it was just like i had this moment of clarity where i was like this is it this is the thing i'm being called to do right now and that changed everything for me because even though my job still completely sucked and i hated going to work there was this newfound energy in it where it was like oh but now it's funding my dreams right. now it's paying for my editor and my website and you know the pr that i'm going to need and like all these things to get my book Published. So that was really exciting. And then I could delegate a lot of stuff to my team. And I just started being like MIA for things. I'm like, it's cool. You got it. You take that call. (laughs) And I'm home editing stuff because now it's COVID and I'm remote. So nobody knows what I'm doing or where I am. And I'm just writing a book all day. And where Um, are you at this point? New York or in I was in New Jersey. We had Mm -hmm. moved out of the city and gone to Jersey because you know who can afford New York? Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) As I I hold on to it.
1: Oh, I know, but there's such a special place in my heart for New York. There always will be. And someday when the book sells a million copies, I'm going to get a penthouse and, you know, Columbus Circle and it'll be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Fingers crossed. But yeah, so I was now back in Jersey writing my book. And in August of 2020, I was gifted the most amazing thing from the universe. My position was eliminated. Wow. And I knew it was coming. Like, there were so many hints. There were so many things. So, mentally, I was very prepared for it. It wasn't like I woke up one day and got called into a meeting and, like, all of a sudden, like, my whole world collapsed around me. Like, I knew they were laying me off for months in advance. No one would tell me that no one would confirm it, but I knew they were pushing me out. So, I was very much ready for it. And my boss calls and he says, I have some bad news for you. And I go, No, you don't. You have great news. And he was like, Okay, I guess I have great news. I'm like, yeah, and he told me, you know, you're being let go today. Today's your last day. Like, basically, you're done. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, I thought I got thirty days, but all right. So that was it. And I was like, you know what? I got right off that call. Did you get a severance package or anything? I did. That's what I was like a dream come true. I'm getting. Tell me what. What do I I want? I was like, exactly. I'm like, I fantasized about this for years. Like, I always wanted a severance package when I was at my previous company and I never could get one. And then when I left and went to this new energy company, I was like, please, someone give me a severance package because the thought of marketing demand response, which is a solution we offered, makes me want to blow my brains out. Like, I'm going to do this. I don't care. Mm. So, I was so, by this point, I was so disengaged and just like over it. But It's really hard when you're a type A personality, because even when you're disengaged, you're performing higher than most of the people that you work with. Mm -hmm. So like, I still was a workaholic all the way till the end. I was still checking emails at five o'clock in the morning to see what the UK team had done, you know, since they've been up and like checking emails late at night because the West Coast team was still on. I mean, it's such a toxic way. It's such a toxic existence. But then once I got the severance package, I was like, beautiful. And I hung up the phone. And I'm not going to lie, there was a sting there. Even though I knew it was coming, when you actually hear someone tell you you're no longer needed, it, it, it definitely bit, you know? And I felt you're a few tears well up. You're
0: preaching to the choir. <laughs> oh. I've, heard it, I've heard it more than once. I get right? it. I get it. I mean, look, there is always a sense of relief because... Yes. Yeah, there is,
1: there is, there's a sense of relief and a sense of total terror that like, oh my gosh, my six figure salary is literally, it is gone. It's gone now. What do I do? Mm -hmm. So fortunately I had a call right at that same time that for a speaking class to write your talk in 90 days that I was sort of going on when I could. And I was like, oh, perfect. Now I don't have to go to the all hands meeting. I can get on this call. And it was my saving grace because it instantly, it just took me to another place. And I was like, this is my future. This is where my future is, writing my book, being a motivational speaker. And what I would come to find out a couple months later was becoming a life coach. Because I really wanted to help other women who were in the same place as me get unstuck and see that there's another way, there's another path for them to build a life full of freedom. And that's what I do now. And now how long have you been doing that? So that was like September, October, 2020. Like it was a pretty quick transition. I didn't waste much time. (laughs) Wow. And then when did your book launch? September of 2021. So it was about two years from when I really committed to writing it, to getting it completely launched, but it has been doing so well. So I know these numbers are going to seem small when you compare it to obviously like New York Times bestsellers, but I've sold over 1,300 copies in four months, which for a self-published author is unheard of. 0.0025% of authors who are self-published ever sell more than 1,000 in a wow. lifetime. Wow, and so where yeah. is it on sale? Anywhere, books are sold, um, all digitally. So you can get it, um, it's ebook or paperback. You can get it on Amazon and get it at Barnes & Noble. The wonderful stores in South Carolina have been so good to me. Uh, Main Street Reads in um, Charleston got it. There is a fiction addiction here in Greenville that picked it up. So in all the Barnes and Nobles here in South Carolina have it.
0: Well, and it's only been since September. That's not even. I that know. Wow. No, not at all. Did so, you do any sort of uh, book tour or any sort of PR around it?
1: So it's been tough because no one wants to touch a book with the name vagina. It's even been really like women's books, like Cosmo. Yeah. I had a PR person for three months and I ended up letting her go. Cause I just wasn't getting enough stuff mm-hmm. for the, for the money that I was spending. And a lot of it seemed to be that people just didn't want to touch the title or I'm not like an A-list celebrity, you know? Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> So unfortunately, a lot of places, you know, like Howard Stern and those types of outlets that would be perfect for this, we're like, yeah, sorry, like we're only taking a lists So So it's been a challenge, but the podcast circuit has been really good to me. And that's been a great way for me to kind of get word of mouth going.
0: So tell me what this book is about. I mean, obviously your title of your book and the title of my show, fucking
1: brilliant. So (laughs) tell me what your book is about. Thank you. So yeah, so it is all about my vagina. No, just kidding. It is, but it's about the the bigger message, which is all of the journeys and mishaps and misadventures that we go through with our partner in crime, who in the book, my vagina is named V. So you will be joining us on a journey that goes all the way from being five years old and first realizing like, Oh, I have something down there between my legs. What is this pinkishy thing? Like, you know, what is this all about? To getting my period, being taunted on the bus because someone saw my pads in my book bag, to having sex for the first time, losing my virginity in high school, going to college and, you know, meeting my now husband and making a little sex tape with his, uh, (laughs) communications camera. I mean, there's so many comedic stories and yeah, that never, it never looks as glamorous as you think it's going to look. Just trust me on that.
0: Wait, and, um, you have been with your husband since college. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, I'm sorry, but V doesn't seem to have been on a very big journey. I thought it was going to be Trust me, I know that's what you think. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, like, I feel like I know you and Damien so well. Like, this is like, you're my BFFs because you do go on this whole journey. And, you know, I think that's unfortunately one of the misconceptions about long term relationships is that they, I mean, trust me, they get boring and stale sometimes, right? But you got to like invigorate them. And so, fortunately, we've been able to do that, like, over the course of our, our marriage and relationship. But there's so many things. I mean, we talk about pregnancy sex and like going very wrong. For the first time ever, I talk about miscarriage and my ectopic pregnancy and how my workaholism, even back then, got in the way of me detecting that I had an ectopic pregnancy and having to be basically rushed to the emergency room, not sure if I was dying or what was, ha- what was happening. So there is definitely those bigger messages also, like, you know, take care of yourself, ladies, love yourself. You know, I talk about my labia tearing during birth and the... F- lasting effects that that's had on me. I had to have complete reconstructive surgery after my second pregnancy um, with my, my stomach completely, my abs were obliterated. And, you know, what that was like trying to get back in the saddle. I mean, there's so many things, but probably my favorite sort of theme throughout this is constantly chasing the orgasm. And I think Hollywood and the movies have done and porn and all that has just done such a disservice. For what real sex looks like and what good sex looks like. Unfortunately, right, you got a bunch of guys walking around thinking it's pump and dump mm-hmm. and that foreplay is foreplay. I'm like, nope, that's like the main event for me. <laughs> that's, you could actually just do that and I'd be fine, you know, like, no problem. But there's this whole journey of me trying to figure out, like, how do I get this thing to work down there? I don't get it. How do I get this orgasm thing going? And um, yeah, so you'll have to read the story to see if she ever figures it out or not. But
0: It's interesting because the fifth show that I did was with a woman named Cindy Gallup, who has a site called Make Love Not Porn. And her (gasps) whole thing is showing real sex. So real people upload their videos on there. And you can watch them. And her whole thing is what porn has done to young men. And just like the, it's, it's like what she kind of says or explains porn is it's like a Michael Bay movie. Like it's not right. reality at right. all. Right. you know? Right. So no, I hear you on that. And I agree 100%. I think also in the consent space, porn does oh. not help that at all. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And
1: it's interesting that you bring up the whole consent thing too, because there are some, you know, depending on people's trigger levels, there is a scene where I black out in college and I literally don't know what happened. I I don't know to this day what happened. Maybe he'll read the book and call me up and let me know.
0: But sadly, sadly, there are so many women with that same story. Um, yeah, I'm sure it's relatable to way more people than you can even imagine.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately. And, you know, I don't, and people will say, Oh, how could he do that? And I go, well, my husband has told me because I've blacked out with him back in college a couple of times. And he says, Karen, you're fully functional. I had no idea you were blacked out and we were in a committed relationship. So, I mean, you know, whatever, but the the guy would have probably had no clue that I wasn't all there. But what I'm trying to do since I have two boys is teach them signs to look for. And if a girl has been drinking all night and she's been drinking, like, you know that she has to be drunk. Like, just don't even go there. Just don't even go there. Say, give her a kiss at the door. Make sure she's in her bed and get the hell out. Like, that's it, you know? There'll be another night for that if she's really that into you. So yeah. my kids are 10 and 12. So every time I try to talk to them about sex, they're like, mom, this is so inappropriate. <laughs> well, do they know about your book, for God's sake? I oh bet. my gosh, do they ever? They're like my little PR crew. We're at the grocery store the other day and I'm in line and there's two ladies behind me and my son goes, Psst, looks like an opportunity to tell these ladies about your book. Oh
0: my God, that's so funny. <laughs> well, so well, they're great. And you know what, honestly... It might seem traumatizing, traumatizing a little bit to them now, but it will just help them later in life. Like I was reading something the other day about how everybody is so immune to like the blood of violence, but the blood of menstruation is such a taboo.
1: Oh, and yes,
0: it again, born from the patriarchy.
1: Well, and maybe it is the patriarchy that has influenced women, but I, I posted a picture on my feed, Instagram at Karen Freeland, Karen with an eye. So if anybody wants to check it out and I tested out period underwear and I actually did the post and I showed my period underwear and you could see where they were saturated. I used the wrong level of like absorbency. So it leaked through. I think if I'd used the proper level on day one, it would have been fine. But anyway, and actually uh, someone that I know very well, a woman sent me a message and was like, that is disgusting. Why would you post that? And I was like, but like, this is natural. Like it's happened to all of us. What you, what, like you don't believe, like I couldn't even understand why they found that so offensive and disgusting. And yeah, but we're, that's, even if it's a woman saying it, it, we all
0: grew up with the same information that all came from religion, or other, you know what I'm saying? So if a woman yeah. is that way, it's because that's what we hear. That's what we know. Honestly, like one of the things I've heard recently that I found so eye opening is even the take on virginity and the whole way virginity is positioned. And yeah,
1: I love people are saying now, like, they're not saying I lost my virginity. It's like we didn't lose it. We gave it to someone. We shared it with someone, and I was but like,
0: also very much put on women. Like, why? I, it, right. It, it like again that whole messaging, like mm-hmm. because again, why can't we just enjoy sex like men and uh, boys enjoy sex? It's right. Like this, this thing, this flower, this this whole thing <laughs> that you're supposed <laughs> to save until marriage. But for some reason, the pressure is more on the women than the right. men. So, like, I Great I don't. Point. Think about it. Do you think you'll ever have to talk to your boys about keeping their virginity? Unlikely. Right. Okay. So we've talked about your book. Let's talk about um, your life coaching. Where do you get your clients? Like, tell me, you know, a success story that you may have had recently with a, a client that
1: you helped find a new direction. Sure. So a lot of my clients actually are referrals. You know, it's a lot of people that I worked with in the past or who are friends of people that I've worked with in the past. They see my posts on LinkedIn, reach out. So that's been great. And I've worked in some really toxic environments. So there's no shortage of clients there. So I'll tell you a story about one woman. And she came to me feeling like a tired, frumpy mom. She was like, you know, I just feel like I've lost my passion. I'm a workaholic, right? Very similar feelings that I had when I was in corporate. And I said, all right, great. Let's do a three-month program. And we're going to go through this process of figuring out what it is you really want in your life we're going to go. And I I have a special uh, methodology. It's called edit, edit your life. And so edit actually stands for envision the goal, document the goal, invest in the goal and take action. Because if you're not taking action, you can write it down. You can think about it all you want, but you have to actually do something to make it come to fruition. And so this is where I'm really holding my clients accountable. And so the first month or so she was like, Karen, I don't know. It's still not clicking. And I was like, girlfriend just trust i need you to trust the process okay it doesn't happen overnight right if you've been stuck for years months weeks whatever it is you're not suddenly going to go one month of coaching and your whole life is going to right be, be revamped like we have to give this time your brain is going through a process right now and literally 2 weeks before we were done with our 3 month program she sent me a message over the weekend she was like I had a huge breakthrough. I have to tell you about this. I was like, okay. So we got on the phone and she was watching a movie. I think it was maybe Steel Magnolia and it, where they have a spa or a salon or something. Mm -hmm. And she goes, oh my gosh, I want to open a salon. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, where'd this come from? She's like, I went to business school to, to own a salon. She's like, I wrote a business plan for this, but just like my book, Life got in the way. And that little dream got buried in the back of her brain until just the right moment where it was going to shoot forward. And just over Christmas, she sent me a message and said, Karen, I just got the phone with a realtor and I'm looking at spaces for my spa. And that to me is like um, the most amazing thing that could ever happen for any of my clients. This is for them to realize their true purpose and then take the leap of faith and go for their dreams.
0: So then I have to ask you, are you happy where you are now is uh, doing this? Is this your dream or do you think yeah. it's evolving? Do you foresee maybe something else? Because I've certainly talked to people who it's not like there's one thing, but you right. know, many and it just you're taken to other
1: places. Well, I think I'm definitely keeping my options open. You know, when I first started life coaching, I had really grand visions. I was like, I'm going to be like the next Tony Robbins and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And as I started getting more into the coaching field, I realized that for me isn't necessarily what I do want because I know what it takes to run a business those sizes. And it means a lot of travel and it means a lot of FaceTime. And I actually prefer now having a boutique firm where I take on just a handful of clients, but I give them 110%. And then I still have that balance that I've always craved in my life. So like, I don't work Fridays. I I do three-day weekends every week. I'm really focused also on promoting the book right now and making sure that I can get this out and touch as many lives as I can. And I would love to turn it into a TV series. So I'm I'm ta- in talks with a couple of producers right now to see about maybe making that happen. So I don't know, like I'm definitely leaving my options open, but for right now, this is definitely a place where I see myself sitting for a little while.
0: I had a gentleman on here that had an agency that, we got really big and they were always chasing the next client. And essentially when COVID happened, it all fell apart. Then he got together with one of the partners and they just reopened another agency that's doing really well, but they're not going to keep chasing the yes. next client. I think that's kind of key sometimes in recognizing if you're comfortable in doing what you love and yeah. maintaining that, because when you keep building and building and building. Sometimes it gets too big, you know, next thing you know, you got 30 Krispy Kremes in there and you're shutting (laughs) them all down. Like, you know, we've seen this before. Yeah, exactly. Five Krispy Kremes could have been a huge success or they were stone cold. Did you ever go to the ice cream? I did. I used to love that place. That place was hot. Like on the Upper East Side, we'd go to it like regularly. And then next thing you know, they're opening them all over the place. And now, can you find a Krispy Kreme? I think I there might be one in Hermosa Beach, California. But like
1: I'm just saying, like you gotta right. manage, manage the dream. No, I agree. And like for me, I I my kids now are 10 and 12 and they're going to be out of the house in six to eight years. So you know what? I'll travel and do all that kind of stuff then. But right now I really am enjoying being a mom. I'm enjoying picking them up from school every day and talking about their day. And, you know, I never got to do that when back in the day, like, you know, I missed so much of their younger years. And, you know, look, if, if I, I don't, have any ill will towards women who want to keep climbing the corporate ladder, I'm very much of choice. Women should have a choice. And if you choose to stay home with your kids or you choose to kind of hybrid work life, like I'm doing, or you choose to go full in corporate, that is your choice. You got to do what works for you and for your family. So, you know, I'll never, never hold anything against another woman, but like you, I do love a good leaving corporate and sticking it to the man story.
0: (laughs) Well, and also with COVID too, I mean, we've been gifted time with our children that we wouldn't normally have. I'm working freelance, but I'm working from home. And so, you know, my daughter's now in middle school, but like, you know, I I get to spend more time with her than I ever did before. And so, you know, I talked to someone once who told me that when he started on Wall Street, it was all about if then for him, if I make this much, then this, and that, And when you lead your life like that, you are never going to find happiness because there's always going to be another if then. And I mean, he was on the podcast and he hit rock bottom and was in Mm -hmm. rehab and he's not in on Wall Street anymore. And he's writing actually. But like, it's so true. You know, you often hear that the people who are the richest are not happy because they never have enough. And so you know, it's it's finding where you're comfortable and, and being happy in that.
1: Yeah. And that's one of the things that has been so empowering. You know, we moved from New Jersey to South Carolina in April because that was part of our transition. I said, look, mommy doesn't make what she used to make. So we are going to either have to stay here and hustle or we can go somewhere that is less expensive and live a very decent, comfortable life. And so for us, we're like, let's do it. We came to Greenville. We absolutely love the area. People are fantastic. The weather definitely beats Jersey for me. I don't like the cold and it's been wonderful, but you know what? I've been able to say how much is enough. This is enough. I don't need to make more than this for the year. And I have been able to turn down projects and turn down opportunities because I'm like, I'm, I'm right where I need to be. I don't need to make any more in 2021. So I, it's been very freeing to say enough is enough. This is all that I need to be happy, to be comfortable and everything else. I don't need to chase that. No. Well, and
0: COVID also showed you, you don't need as much as you think you do.
1: Oh my gosh. I haven't had my
0: eyebrows done girl in so long. <laughs> well, I, I think I've had mine done so much that they don't grow anymore. So <laughs> we're at a standstill, but I mean, I haven't bought any,
1: any clothes. I don't go anywhere. I just right. stand- So where were you in New Jersey? Um, We were in Bergen County. So just over the bridge. Okay. Because I have another
0: friend who left New Jersey and ended up in South Carolina.
1: Recently. I'm telling you, it's been life changing for sure. But you know, it was funny because I was driving the other day in a pretty affluent area of town. I looked at one of the houses and I thought, man, I'd love that house. I'd love to have that house. And then I said, what what are you talking about, Karen? Stop. You know, I had to like, just gut check myself for a second. I was like, I don't even like cleaning the house I got. I was like, why am I cleaning that thing? I was like, nope. And then, you know, I'm able to get myself centered again on what's my priorities. What are the things that really matter to me? But I never had that when I was in corporate. I didn't have some life mission. My husband would always say, "Oh, his life mission is to raise two, you know, responsible boys who contribute to society and are good, upstanding gentlemen. Like I was like, that's a beautiful vision. Like I don't, I don't have a mission like that. What, what am I doing? I'm just floating about on the earth. But now that I've gone through this process and I understand how to craft that for myself, it becomes the filter through which every decision and everything I do is made. It's like, is it helping me get closer to live these values or to live these goals? If it's not like, then I don't need it. And I just filter it right out.
0: Well, I think it's okay to look at something and be like, God, I'd like that, but you just can't get like caught up in it. Like right. you know, I've, the yes. house is probably beautiful and you'd like it, but you'd also want house cleaners, massage therapists,
1: yes. the whole thing. I should have a personal chef. Let's be honest. Right. And, and I-, I know what it takes to get all those things because I was chief of staff and I lived with the C-suite for a whole year and I saw what their lives were like. And I was like, this is not for me. I don't even want this. This isn't fun. I don't like this. No tap out, tap out.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know, and it's so funny because in my corporate career, I've always befriended. And when I worked at the corporate office of Barnes & Noble and sat outside Len Riggio's office, the CEO, I became friendly with his personal chef. Guess who got free lunch every day? Me. Nice. And guess who was poor? Me. (laughs) And who needed that lunch? So, you know, it's like, and honestly, he was the most pleasant guy. He was lovely. He was like from the Caribbean. And it's like so I don't, it doesn't always have to be about money, you know, it's about kindness and good people. And then things come of that, like gifts come from, Mm -hmm. from, you know, that. So anyway, I'm, I'm preaching. I'm, I'm a soapbox. As I mentioned, I did come up with a game, although I feel like games I feel like you've told me some of these things during the show. So the game is V and me, and it's about you and your vagina, since, you know, that was what your book is about. So I'm going to ask you just some questions about your relationship. Okay. All right. First, and you did tell me this, how old were you when you met V and recognized what she could bring to this partnership?
1: (laughs) Oh, yes. So I was five years old. But in the book, I don't actually introduce V as a character until I'm 14, I'm entering high school. Or excuse me, yeah, yeah, high school. Mm -hmm. Okay,
0: when her magic started to make its way into your world. So in your heyday, how soon
1: before you would introduce V to your friends? Oh, not very long. I actually, there's a really funny story about me being in truth or dare in sixth grade. And so, yeah, I might've flashed my bush.
0: <laughs> All right. If V was an animal, what would she be? Oh my god, a prickly cactus.
1: <laughs> oh, an <laughs> animal?
0: That's a plant. <laughs> Wait, a porcupine. Okay, well, okay. I don't know if this is just telling me that you need a wax, or a... <laughs> um okay. As partners, are you and V more Kegney and Lacey or Lucy and Ethel?
1: Oh God, probably Lucy and Ethel. <laughs> okay.
0: And you know what? I already answered this question, but my last one was, "What are your thoughts on the whole virginity thing?" So, oh yeah, we already touched on that. So, but you know what? That just demonstrates what a great
1: conversation
0: we had because hey, we jumped ahead, we covered it all. We
1: did. Oh, but you know, the one thing I did want to share with your listeners is that a portion of the proceeds from my book, "The Ins and Outs of My Vagina," is going to go to Alliance for Period Supplies. So they are a fantastic organization here in the US helping to end period poverty and getting much needed period supplies to women um, who are of low income and cannot afford these everyday essentials and they literally have to choose between feeding their family if they're a woman and or any menstruator and you know feeding their kids or getting period products or for these young girls you know they, some of them have to stay home they can't even go to school because they don't have the products they need to manage their period and so that uh, for one, breaks my heart, and two, it's like the least I could do to try to make a bigger impact with the book, which was something that for so many years was lacking from my life. That's a real sense of purpose, and so for me, um, it just seemed like such a great partnership to work with Alliance for Period Supplies. So, That's I hope you will all consider getting a copy and um, and supporting this fantastic cause.
0: No, that is amazing and wonderful. And the only thing I can say is that it really angers me that that is even a cause that needs to, like that there needs to be money for. I mean right.
1: And, right. For basic and,
0: essential things that uh so frustrating. But yes, anyway. and it's
1: taxed, which is like the most annoying part about it. It's like it's not it's already hard enough to be a woman. And then it's like, oh by the way, and we're gonna tax you as if it's a luxury. Well, I hate to break it to you. There's nothing luxurious about getting your period. And you let us
0: on. as you let us know on the regular because you're disgusted by period blood,
1: right? Okay. Right.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again for uh, joining me. Can you share your social channels
1: again? And if you have a website, yeah, absolutely. KarenFreeland.com is the best place to get in touch with me. It's got everything about my life coaching as well as the book. You can buy the book on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. And you can find me on Twitter or on Instagram at Karen Freeland.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much. It's been so nice meeting you and uh, have to give a shout out to Troy Moore, my old boss who introduced us. Thank you, Troy. I'm Brianna Haas. This is the Jobs Blow podcast. We're at com and on social media at Jobs Bowl podcast. Thank you. And please subscribe and review. Have a good night.